Welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. So glad you've joined us tonight. Well, we used to have a roundtable every um, show, and I kind of stopped doing the roundtable. And um, so, but we have these millennials I love having on. And so now I'm starting this kind of once a month with the millennials. Uh, and these are actually tonight, I have two students joining us. They are from SMU and the Young America's Foundation. I'm sorry, I keep doing that. So sorry. Young Republicans. Okay, they have two great groups at SMU. One is Young Republicans, and and those people here tonight, Drew Wicker and Emma Kate Few. And um, so we're just going to run through some of our usual roundtable. In the top of the hour, you know, we have a very short segment. So I have a surprise quiz. Okay, I'm going to ask you that seriously. I'm going to ask you some questions, and you get to guess. Okay, what? So tonight, which no one in this listening audience would ever listen to, but tonight there is an interview with uh, Stormy Daniels, this person who allegedly Trump had a, whatever he did. Okay, what percent of Trump voters do you think say that even if he did, it makes no difference to them in terms of his ability to do his job as president? What percent of Trump voters said that? I'm going to say 15 to 20 percent. I'm going to go even lower than that. I'm going to say between 7 and 10. <laughs> this is great. Not that they approve, but of Trump voters, three quarters, 75% said, doesn't really impact whether he does, how he does his job. I mean, I think, and I've read some more about this. The only thing that's happening is that the Trump voters are so, they want someone to stand, just, just to stand up and do what Trump is doing. They just don't care. They don't approve. They wouldn't, they wouldn't want their husband to do it, but they don't care. <laughs> I kind of love that. Yeah, it was a beautiful poll. Okay, now this is the other little quiz I'm going to have, um, which was, these are kind of quotes that people said. So this is, a, and I want you to figure out if you can, you can guess who said them. They're, they're fun. It's not, there, there is no bad score. But anyway, someone recently was speaking about a president, a president, and said the following. He always has to be the center of attention. He's a constant train wreck that never goes away. He's undermined the office and used it to enrich himself and his family. He's disregarded laws, ethical standards. He's been undermining the institutions from the free press to the judiciary. Who do you think they were talking about, first of all? Clinton. Mm. Clinton's always a safe bet. Honestly, I'm going to go with that. Just got no idea. Okay. They're talking about Trump, but the really funny part is who said it related to your choice. Hillary Clinton. The audacity. Hillary Clinton said that. Right. said that. Was that before or after she slipped in the bathtub in India? Yeah, <laughs> I know. Maybe she hit her head. But I mean, <laughs> seriously, this is a woman. She has such audacity. Her own husband, you realize how he conducted his life as president. And this woman had the nerve to say that Trump had been undermining institutions and had enriched himself and his family, like Clinton Foundation. I mean, seriously. <laughs> okay, here's another one. This is a really serious one. Okay, so someone was talking about... Um, climate change. This is an actual quote from someone that you might know, you do know. I would say that particularly for women, they will bear the brunt of looking for the firewood, looking for the food, looking for the firewood, looking for the place to migrate to when all the grass is finally gone as the decertification moves south and you have to keep moving your livestock for your crops are no longer growing. They're burning up in the intense heat that we're now seeing reported across North Africa, blah, blah. So, yes, women once again will be primarily burdened with the problems of climate change. First of all, how inane. But who do you think said that? To me, it sounds like a quote from the Iron Age, but maybe Elizabeth Warren? (laughs) 
You know, you said climate change. I was going to guess Obama, but maybe, maybe somebody, I don't know. Was the horns not a bad bet either? I keep stealing Okay. It's, it was Hillary. And why that's so funny. I mean, look, she's inane. Hillary Clinton said that this year at Georgetown, she's giving a speech on climate change, and it goes back to women will suffer. I mean, she's like insane. Well, it's from Hillary tonight or just. Personally, I'm completely fine with her staying in the news because it seems to be doing a lot of, us a lot of good. That was my theory. I think a Republican's paying her. That's my theory. I mean, I, seriously. If, if that's the case, I'm not objecting to it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then here's one last quote. Okay. Who do you think said this after a recent election? Nothing feels solid. Sadly, sadly there's something in us that looks for simple answers when we're agitated but we have to tend the garden of democracy or else things could fall apart quickly. That's what happened in Germany in the 1990s. 60 million people died. You've got to pay attention and vote. I don't I don't know, take Eric any... Holder? <laughs> That's a pretty good guess. You want to guess? Uh, Emma Kate Pugh? Gosh, this is a hard one. Um, <laughs> could just go with Hillary again. I was about to say, honestly, I'm, I think I'm going to go with Hillary Clinton because she's on a roll tonight. Is it Hillary Clinton? <laughs> yeah, she is. Actually, that was Barack Obama and the nerve... Oh. The nerve to say in December of 17, I mean, just, you know, whatever that is, three months ago, to say, to analogize America to the 1930s and the Nazis. I mean, to tell you. Okay, okay, I do one other quick one. I guess I still have time. I still have, okay, I do. Thank you, Greg, Greg, my happy board guy is telling me. Okay, I think it's difficult for Hillary Clinton to get by in this macho atmosphere prevailing during that campaign. She was criticized in a way I think no man would ever have criticized. Yes, sexism played a prominent part in the 2016 elections. This is a Supreme Court justice said this. Oh, until you said that, I thought it was going to be Jimmy Kimmel. But uh, <laughs> I think it's actually, oh gosh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Amen. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who's non-political, I swear, on the Supreme Court. Okay, we come back from the break. We're going to continue our having fun with our Millennial Roundtable. Debbie George Addis, Drew Wicker, Emma Kate Few. Come right back. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million Heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. 
You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. Welcome back to America Can We Talk. Okay, if you're watching on Facebook Live, uh, we didn't have it set right, but now we're waving to you. We're all in the picture now. This is good. Okay, love listening, having listened on Facebook Live and love having in studio tonight our Millennial Roundtable. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Can We Talk. And our Millennial Roundtable tonight, I have both Drew Wicker here. Um, who Are you the president of Young Republicans? Yes, ma'am, I am. Okay, don't say ma'am. Okay. And the other one, Emma Kate Few, she was a future president, probably. Yes. Yeah, I'm a sophomore, but, you know, political director for now. Kind of just Drew's go to assistant, you know? That's right. Okay. So, I, first of all, this past week, my husband and I went to SMU and heard uh, Stephen Crowder, who, if you pay attention at all, and I'm um, kind of. I don't even want to call it younger comedy, social media commentator. But anyway, um, he's a his uh, show is louder with Crowder. He's a very outspoken uh, young conservative. And he did a program at SMU that was he is loud. I mean, oh, my 
gosh. But anyway, um, I was going to tell you, I thought it was interesting for a couple of reasons why I want to talk about tonight. You know, we've talked about on our show before how it's very difficult to, for conservatives on campuses around America to find a venue to present their ideas, to sell their ideas, sometimes even challenge uh, an administration in a college campus uh, with conservative ideas. So I'm hoping you can share about what happened when you first arranged with uh, Crowder to bring him to SMU. And there was a little bit of trouble, uh, a little bit of a, a upset relating to how much money you had to raise to put the event on. Yes. So we originally invited Stephen to come on campus. For those of you who do not know him, he's kind of a conservative late night talk show host. That's the best way to describe him. And so we requested that he be able to come on campus. We requested student funding from the Student Senate, which was approved unanimously to pay his speaking fee. So beyond that, we then had to go locate a venue on campus that would be able to support the audience that we expected to come out for the event. We were expecting probably about 1,200 max, and uh, the only venue on campus that can hold that many people and be a suitable venue for what he likes to do with his show is McFarlane Auditorium, which is the largest venue on campus. And so we were expecting, and we were told to expect, a bill of probably about $5,000. Whenever we received the quote, which was roughly two weeks out from the event, we were handed a bill for about $14,000. And so from that, we then worked with the administration, I would say, to negotiate it down to $9,000. They then gave us $2,500 for security to help ease the burden. So we then raised $6,500 and then eventually raised $7,500 to be able to open up the entire venue uh, for the event. And we ended up hosting over 2,400 people for the event this past Thursday and had over 30,000 people watch online just on YouTube. Okay, but the problem with money was, and please correct me if I'm wrong, the problem with money was the cost to your organization, Young Republicans, was increased due to the concern of potential protesters against this speaker who's um, not known for being shy, who's kind of a loudmouth, right? Yes, that was a substantial reason for the increase, uh, the almost threefold increase in the expected quoted price. Okay, so this is one thing. We, in fact, we talked a few weeks ago uh, on this show about another case. It was university, it was a law school in Florida that had a similar issue where um, they were almost prohibited from having an event because they didn't have the funding the schools that would be required because of the protests that were anticipated. And I've forgotten who their speaker was. Oh, it was Charles Murray. And so the students who were law students, and so they're used to maybe writing a little more demanding letters, wrote the administration and said essentially, why isn't, aren't you charging to the groups who are going to protest? I mean, that just seems a very, very logical thing. If you're going to have to have anticipated costs that are because people want to protest, make the protesters pay. Does that ever get discussed at SMU? That <laughs> It really hadn't been a conversation before this speaker because really conservative groups have started a resurgence on our campus these past couple of years. And now we're starting to bring in big name speakers. And now all of a sudden it's becoming a security concern for those of us on campus. I will say, Emma Kate, you were there. I know I, I saw you that night. That protesters actually were pretty peaceful. I mean, they were they were block they were not blocking anything. They were just lined up. But I mean, I mean, would do you have a crowd estimate of the protesters? It wasn't even. You know what's kind of funny is uh, when you looked outside the venue, you could see about probably thirty protesters. But then there's just thousands of people lined up that were actually there for the Crowder event. So you know, while we're spending thousands of dollars in security, it probably wasn't exactly necessary at the moment. 
Um, but we did have some members of the actual SMU administration, of course, in the protest group. So. Really? SMU administrators? That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, they're. In, I mean, it's a free country, but I think that's actually very interesting. If I were an administrator, even if it was a very left-wing person, I, I'd almost be more curious to get in line and go listen to him or her. I think I'd rather do that than protest. And I will say that some of those people, those administrators, did come to the event. However, I would say that most of the faculty that came for the event— it, either to attend or to protest, were more in line with the protesters. Aha. Uh-huh. So we were sure to give them water, you know, make sure they were getting treated well as their protesters. <laughs> Friendly, like, water and feet. Okay, so I don't know if you can see it out on Facebook Live, but this is one of the flyers. I took it down on the way out. It was still up, and this is where the uh, protesters, what they put up all over campus. Um, and I just thought it'd be great to have for the show. I don't know if you can see it on – I want to make sure both of our uh, – both the, our uh, – Facebook Live and our uh, feed on Photo Booth can see it, but they they called it protest hate speech and homophobia at SMU. So Crowder is, if nothing else, controversial. But you know, I mean, I I will ask you honestly, and whatever your answer is fine with me. Were either of you offended by anything he said? Um, honestly, I mean, I had not heard that much Stephen Crowder before the event. I had listened to him a few times just because I'd you know been excited about having such a prominent speaker on our campus and our club supporting that but I think it's styles it's different than what I would typically listen to and he's loud like he said um and definitely controversial in the way he presents information but I was very impressed with the way he handled the question and answer session after his initial presentation I mean I think if you look at it like a late night show kind of like a conservative Jimmy Fallon it really kind of changes the perspective how you how you listen to it I mean there's gonna be some some comments that aren't exactly you know said eloquently but I think that's kind of his style um, but I think the way he handled the question and answer session was very impressive. And, you know, definitely not ex- a prime example of compassionate conservatism, but I think that's what cu- kept our generation there. And, you know, as a packed house, we had to turn people away. And that entertainment value that he presents, I think, really uh, is what brings on a lot of people as well. And he doesn't advertise himself as hire me. I'm a compassionate conservative. Exactly. That's not what he says. Anything that he said offended you, Drew? For me personally, nothing that he said at the event really bothered me. And I'm I'm very much a free speech purist in that, you know, I'm an absolutist in that anything you want to say, you can. I think that that's one of the great things about this country. I do think that, you know, as a comedian, you're going to say and do things that either push that line or step over that line. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you can't say those things. And so, you know, while I didn't love the verbiage that was on the shirt that was being most objected to, that was not a core part of his show. It's not a core part of who he is. He's not homophobic. He's not a bigot. And all the things that they were accusing him of, they were really just misinformed as to what the actual intention of everything was. Even the shirt itself had an inside joke with his audience. And regardless of whether or not you feel that that's appropriate, you should at least investigate that to before you start calling him a hate monger and a bigot and saying that he should be banned from a college campus. Well, this is so interesting. I don't know if you can tell me what the shirt said without saying bad word on air. I don't even know what it said. Socialism is for figs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Well, I was going to say he's very much down in socialism. I will say one thing I, it just was refreshing to me because, you know, in this show, we talk about every issue facing America. And I always say the entire purpose of this show is to speak up for the extraordinary, great, goodness of this exceptional country and and including the the virtue that we're committed to free speech it is really interesting because i think that so much of the american left has shut down free speech and has made it impossible to say things for example in his talk uh to the audience or in his 
yell to the audience. <laughs> he doesn't ever just talk. But he was talking about uh, on some campuses they have required, in fact, in the city of New York City, required pronouns where if you don't use the pronoun claimed or identified by uh, LGBT, transgender, whatever people, uh, whatever uh, people group, uh, if you don't use it, you can be punished at a college campus. You can be fined in New York City. If you if someone says, call me Tur, Zer, Jer, whatever they are, their names are, and you can be fined. And there's something so oppressive about that. And so instead of a gentle explanation of why that really isn't true, uh, he just basically, he, he did, he mocked it. And he had up uh, videos of these uh, young people who were clearly struggling with their identity. Uh, their gender identity, and just making these just kind of uh, the only way I can be satisfied, the only way the world can be is everyone has to conform to how I see the world and what words I want used about me so no one can say a word anywhere in my presence that I don't like because I might get offended. And so the answer is the left-wing America, especially the ra- especially the radical left-wing, is ruling speech in America. And it's part, of what, it's part of what he's saying is no way this is going to happen. I'm going to say what I want to say. I'm Debbie Georgiatis uh, with a millennial roundtable in the studio, <laughs> studio. Emma Kate Few and Drew Wicker, young Republicans of SM you come right back. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony list, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. 
They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. America guarantees each eligible adult citizen the right to vote. The Public Interest Legal Foundation, a 501c3 public interest law firm, is dedicated entirely to election integrity, to assuring that voter rolls include names of only citizens eligible to vote, and that protections are in place to prevent voter fraud of all kinds. The Public Interest Legal Foundation discovered that more than 1,000 non-citizens enrolled to vote in Virginia in just eight counties, and in Philadelphia, felons as well as non-citizens are on the voter rolls. Non-citizens have been registering to vote and voting. The Public Interest Legal Foundation is fighting nationwide and in Texas to ensure that only Americans pick American leaders. We are actively litigating high-impact cases to clean up voter rolls and protect the ballot box. If you do not want your vote canceled out, visit publicinterestlegal.org to join us in the fight to restore integrity to American elections. Protect your vote. Visit publicinterestlegal.org today. Welcome back. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Can We Talk, and we have our Millennial Roundtable. We're doing those again. It's great to have in the studio tonight Emma-Kate Few and Drew Wicker, both of the SMU Young Republicans. So I want to play a little clip. I have a clip of Ben Shapiro, uh, who uh, was talking. This is not the same person who was at SMU. That at SMU was Stephen Crowder, a lot of Crowder. This is Ben Shapiro talking, though, about the way people oppress speech on campuses. Free speech is under assault because of a three-step argument made by the advocates and justifiers of violence. The first step is they say that the validity or invalidity of an argument can be judged solely by the ethnic, sexual, racial, or cultural identity of the person making the argument. The second step is that they claim those who say otherwise are engaging in what they call verbal violence. And the final step is they conclude that physical violence is sometimes justified in order to stop such verbal violence. Okay, he goes on to say, thank you very much. I love that clip. Uh, and he went on to talk about, it looks like he's testifying in Congress. Did he testify in Congress? He might have. He did. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, he really goes on to talk about how he, he's talking about the essence of free speech in America and college campuses and how that your validity, your ability to have an opinion. In fact, he goes on to, to talk about intersectionality, which I'd like to look it up. But anyway, he's saying white straight Americans cannot speak on the central issues of the day because they've not experienced what it means to be black, Hispanic, gay, transgender, or a woman. Okay, so this time, when honestly, in my generation, you know, and I'm like educated, I went to college and law school, I'm pretty smart, but none of this happened when we were in school. So is what he's describing this whole uh college campus craziness you know your validity of an argument is judged by your racial sexual racial or cultural identity do you is it like that at smu 
I would say yes, because it really, and it's not just at SMU, it's not just on college campuses, but with our generation in particular right now, it really, it boils down to, well, how many members or how many factions of an oppressed class do you specifically fit into? And the more that you fit into, the more valid your argument. It's not how valid are your thought processes? How valid is your argument? What facts are you using to back up that argument? It's how what what members of oppression uh, do you belong to and you know frankly i think that a lot of that comes from who's teaching us who is in college right now it's the professors that grew up during the 1960s i think that's a huge piece of that i have nothing to do with them i have no control over them go ahead what do you think emma k you know, is, is it like this i agree going off of that i think it's a lot of uh, this tendency to kind of be the victim and you not for us to play the victim card at all as you know conservatives which is kind of a rare find with our generation especially (laughs) on a college campus um but i think that's what it is it's our generation has a problem with sticking to their conviction or making convictions and sticking to them um and then when that happens it just kind of turns into this world of relativism and when it's constantly you know promoted in classrooms that it seems to be more of you know a a heart argument like more compassionate person to be on this liberal left-leaning side of arguments then it's kind of the easy way out it's better than Coming up with great reasons for, you know, why you have conservative values or why you believe in hard truths and those kind of things. Better than reasoning, you're saying. Right. Actually, one of the things that I've heard more often in college than I have anywhere else, it's the modernistic, it's the postmodernistic saying of speak your truth. It's Mm -hmm. just like hearing Oprah on replay. Okay, I can't even stand that. And that is, it kind of ties back to several points we were talking about tonight, but when you lose a sense of truth— like that truth exists independent of what anyone believes that there is absolute truth, which for most people comes from a sense of God, a define a definition of what life is, what God is, what man is. Then you're just, you know, you're just kind of floating and, and anything goes, any values go, which ties into something I want to ask you about. If this could even have happened at, and the reason I'm, I'm sounding a little bit aghast that you're describing this, even at SMU is because I think a lot of us think, well, but we live in Texas and Texas is a little more sane than the rest of the country. Um, but then you're even talking about outside of campus, it just your generation's mentality. Okay, so here's my story. There was a religious studies major. This is a true story, as my daddy's love to say. It's a true story, but it really was. A religious studies major in a Christianity class. So he's religious studies, studying Christianity. He's at a school, which is in Pennsylvania. It happens to be named Indiana University of Pennsylvania. I don't know why they did that, but anyway— <laughs> In this class, there was a presentation by somebody. It was a video. I think they all watched a video. And it was a TED Talk, and someone was talking. This person who gave the TED Talk is a transgender ex-pastor named Paula Stone Williams. And she was discussing the reality of mansplaining and sexism from men and male privilege. So she's done talking. The teacher, the professor in this class says, any, especially the women, anyone would like to respond the class is quiet. No one has anything to say because they're probably just like, spare me. But anyway, young one student, a young male student, uh, raised his hand and talked to, and said essentially that he rejected the idea of but most of what this TED Talk person was saying. And he said, there are really only two genders. And for that, he was removed from the class. He was kicked out. The teacher, the professor, actually wanted to put him in some kind of I mean, I'm going to call use my like re-education camp, like the communists do. I swear, go away and get your head right. You can't say there are two genders. And so, I'm going to leave the story off there, just to say, can you imagine that happening at SMU? 
Well, I mean, I think the biggest mistake that people make is in thinking that it can't happen here. It can't happen, you know, to me. And I think that one of the things that we even saw this summer whenever we were dealing with the free speech issue on campus was the statement that we made in the press release was if we're fighting this fight now, this becomes the fight for the heart and soul of Texas's universities. If it can happen in Pennsylvania, it can happen just as much here. And it depends on us to be basically the guardians, the vanguard of making sure that that doesn't happen on our universities. We're the stewards of that. And we have to make sure that we stay active and make sure that we stay aware and that we keep our administration and our faculty in check because otherwise this will occur on Texas's campuses. And that that's not an if, that's a when. So it's just a matter of basically the leadership of conservatives on college campuses and how strong we choose to be. Right. And what happened with Lake um, on this Pennsylvania campus, could, like you're saying, could totally happen here because it's this fact that he was honestly the one that ended up really getting bullied by the professor by getting called out, kicked out of a class that he needed to take to graduate. Um, and if, if this is what's going to happen with these professors that aren't allowing young conservatives to express their beliefs, then it's just going to lead to more of a tendency for them to not want to express them. So it's going to be hard to develop anyone's individual thinking like you're saying it's going to be relative truths and that's hard to right exactly what they hope to what you just said emma k is exactly what the liberals want they want you to figure well i'm pretty sure my parents taught me in the bible i'd actually say two genders but i'm not going to say that and so they want to silence you so at this school unfortunately i tell you a little aside here so this kid and you're right his name is lake engel is a guy uh who just said but you know in addition to the fact there are only two genders, he even pointed out that scientists agree that, I mean, and there have been, you know, there have been medical doctors. There was the head of Johns Hopkins psychiatric department I and mean, all sorts of experts who have said, even when people think they're changing, changing their gender, even when they have surgery and all sorts of hormonal things, you cannot change your gender. It's just like saying, I want to be a butterfly, no matter how much. You're just not. You you are male or female. But anyway, this kid was finally let back into campus, into the class, because, Drew, of the kind of things you were saying, you have to speak up. Because if you don't, this silencing of rationality wins. Yeah, so a couple of interesting things about the points that you just made. So for one thing, the Johns Hopkins professor or the, the doctor that made that point, yeah. he was one of the pioneers in transgender, uh, basically, surgeries. And he came to the conclusion that it was actually harmful to those people. And what we're actually seeing right now on college campuses, it's not... It's not education. It's become to the point where it's not education. It's rather indoctrination. And you have to be aware of that. And if you don't speak up like this kid did, it's the same idea of, you know, the transition from democracy to communism. You know, they came from my friend. I said nothing. They came from my pastor. I said nothing. They came from me and nobody else was left there for me. Right. We're at that point where we have to stand up and say something. And I think you're seeing that. Across this metroplex in Dallas-Fort Worth, I think you're seeing it in the state of Texas. I think you're seeing it nationwide, and you're actually seeing students push back on both the right and the left. I love that. I will add to that. At the school, this kid made such a big deal, and it was out on the Internet, and a lot of people saw it. I know one thing that happened was Dr. Dr. Everett Piper, who just spoke last week at uh, Park City's Republican Women, he, and he's the head of Oklahoma Wesleyan University, he contacted this kid and said, hey, you can finish your degree at Oklahoma Wesleyan. Come on up here. Because he recognized how absurd the school was being. But the school solution, finally, they did come around. And with a lot of public pressure, 
came around, let this kid back in class. But now the kid, he's in the class, and they've actually put a um, an adult in the class with him, uh, who, an assistant to the president for social equity. Okay, that did not exist at my college or mm-hmm. law school, I'm going to point out. Anyway, has to, is going to go to the class to facilitate discussions among members of the class. Basically, the school's saying, we're keeping an eye on this professor, you were going to send somebody in to say, come on, you cannot do this to kids. You can't say you can't have an opinion that is not socially approved by the radical left. So we're on, on this topic of free speech on campus. When we come back um, after the break. I'm going to tell you about some proposals were made in the state of Georgia, legislation pending. I'm going to ask these fine young people what they think of those things could work here in the great state of Texas. Come right back. On August 2nd, 2006, Debbie Lee was notified that her son, Mark Allen Lee, had been killed, becoming the first Navy SEAL to lose his life in Iraq. She had no choice about the news that was given to her, but she did have a choice how she responded. In response to her son's amazing last letter, she founded America's Mighty Warriors to honor the sacrifices of our troops, the fallen, and their families by providing programs that improve quality of life, resiliency, and recovery. Whether America's Mighty Warriors is hosting retreats for families of the fallen, helping heroes heal who are struggling with traumatic brain injury or post-traumatic stress disorder, providing relaxation at the Heroes Hope Home, stepping in when an injustice is committed, or doing random acts of kindness. As Mark mentioned in his letter, they know the price of freedom and who pays it. Our troops and families of the fallen need your support. Visit americasmightywarriors.org today to learn more. That's americasmightywarriors.org. There's a lot of talk today among media, in academia, in our culture, about everything that is supposedly wrong with America. Political correctness tries to dictate that we must stop thinking that America is exceptional. America's bravest have our back in the air, at sea, and on land. But who has America's back in the culture? In schools, on cable television, in newspapers? It's time to end the greatest prejudice on earth, anti-Americanism. And who makes the case for America? Flag does. Flag is the foundation for liberty and American greatness. Flag has America's back on the cultural battlefield. Flag is a nonprofit battle tank working to change the cultural and media narrative about America. If you think it's time to stand up for America, join the Foundation for Liberty and American Greatness. Your support of Flag is an investment in the America your children will inherit. Visit their website at flagusa.org and consider donating. All donations are 100% tax deductible. That's flagusa.org. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. 
Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. Welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm just having a great time here. Uh, the two hours race by. I would say it's the fastest two hours of my week. Dang, we're getting close, but we have a great segment coming up, so don't go away. And on Facebook Live, thank you for listening to Facebook Live. I hope you're enjoying doing that. I need to figure out a way so I can see your comments. I know some people are commenting, but I can't quite catch them here on my iPad. I, I can only do so many things at once. I can walk and chew gum, but <laughs> other than that, anyway, so we're, we have in studio, as I, as I mentioned before, we were talking, uh, Drew Wicker and Emma Kate Few. They are both uh, SMU students, Southern Methodist University. They're part of the Young Republicans, and they put on an event this past week, which actually was just a fabulous event, Louder with Crowder. And, you know, I was saying with my husband, you know, I do a lot of political speaking, and we were kind of laughing about when I go, I speak to all sorts of groups but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pretty wonky and pretty substantive. I get right down and, you know, assessing whatever the issue is and in very serious constitutional, legalistic ways. You know, I'm a lawyer by background. And Crowder is hilarious. And I was thinking, and I did have several of my good friends from Park City's Republican Women, my group here, attending. They loved Crowder. But I was just thinking, this is a great thing to have someone who can talk your generation, because I'm not sure that room of people, I mean, I, you know, it's just great to have a young speaker with young people, and I love speaking to groups I speak to. So, okay, so I do want to tell you what's happening in Georgia. They actually had some people uh, get on board with the idea of, especially at public universities, when you think about your tax dollars at work, whatever state you live in, your state schools, and if your tax dollars are repressing the speech, the political speech you agree with, whether it's conservative or liberal, you're kind of paying to shut down the speech that you would want young people to hear. So this notion of the schools need to be less involved. So they they have some specific suggestions. The, I, the article, by the way, everything we talk about is posted at americacanwetalk.org. You can always go to the website and read it. This article is called To Restore Free Speech, Discipline is Necessary. You think? Okay, mm-hmm. so I want to just ask you if you think these things would even fly at SMU. They're talking about ways to insist that universities foster free speech. And and honestly, let's all be clear. Usually what happens at universities in America is not liberal speech that's shut down. It's conservative speech that's shut down. Okay, so first idea was this is a proposal in Georgia by Georgia State Senator William I don't know how to say his name, L-I-G-O-N, Lagon or something. Anyway, first one is abolish restrictive campus speech codes. So what would you think if a state said, I mean, could that fly at a university? There's no speech codes at all. 
Well, for me personally, I think that you shouldn't have a speech code just because your speech code is the First Amendment. But the other element that should be incorporated within that is simply the fact that if you're having a speech code at a public university, the state legislature has every right to either withhold funding or tell you to get rid of those speech codes because they do fund you. So in my view, I think that that's a great idea. And if they're being shut down on a state level um, for college campuses, that may be the best way to attack this issue head on. Okay, but what about, for example, I mean, I don't know all the speech codes say. I could imagine someone get too, just really detailed and immersed and, you know, you can't say zir if someone wants to be called tur or whatever it is. But I'm mm-hmm. on a serious note, I mean, I don't want I, – I, I, would feel for college students, an African-American student, for example, who was subject to a racial slur. Is that okay in the speech code? What do you, and Emma Kate, what do you think? You know, I think that where this situation really becomes a slippery slope is that it's so hard to define hate speech because it really is just what's offensive and how different people react to what people say varies so much based on the individual. So I think where this issue really gets complicated is if you have all these free speech zones and so many restrictive speech codes, it's almost like encouraging people in our generation, or at least people living on university lifestyles right now, to not be their authentic selves, you know, all day, every day, if they're constantly having to be cautious, you know, of what they're saying to who and when and where. But, you know, I think it is, it, you obviously have a responsibility. I think it's just, if we could all treat each other with mutual respect and kind of come to that agreement, I mean, there's a, the art of diplomacy is essential. And if everyone's going to just be constantly cutting down each other, that's not great. But is it only in university to... You know, create these zones where people have to say certain things. Well, that that was the hard. next thing. Yeah, free speech zones. But let me ask this then to counter that. So suppose you are a radical leftist and you want to say, you know, anyone who does not agree that, um, you know, a marriage equality, all, all love matters. If you're, you're an intolerant hater if you won't agree with me on same-sex marriage. I mean, that is as offensive as... As name-calling. I mean, you're calling someone insensitive and a hater. This is where it gets so hard because, you know, I think many people on the left think they are self-righteously morally right in taking these positions that anyone who won't agree with them. So it gets hard. I don't know if you have a reaction to that. Or... So for the question before, should somebody be able to post some sort of racial slur? My answer to that is yes. Do I agree with any sort of racial slur? Absolutely not. Do I condone it? Absolutely not. In fact, we had an alt-right group that started posting up homophobic, uh, racist slurs on campus. At SMU? Yes, at SMU. We had an alt-right, I think it was called Vanguard America group that posted that. And the first thing that we did was, and we were the only group that came out and, and talked about it and discussed it and condemned it. SMU College Republicans immediately took a picture of the poster and just said, we do not condone this. This is horrible. This is wrong. We condemn this. And, you know, I think that that's the best way to shut down what they deem to be hate speech. In fact is, yes, absolutely. Whenever you're calling somebody a racist, homophobic bigot, I think that those things are just as, you know, quote, offensive as calling somebody any sort of racial slur. And, you know, to me, I don't think that that's any more acceptable. I will take it because, you know what, I will fight the fact that I'm being accused of that. And, you know, there are certain terms that I don't feel need to be used. But, you know what, I will die or I will fight for the right for somebody to have that right to say that. Yeah. Because it's wrong. And I can shut that down. I can make that argument. And I hope others would join in that as well. I think the best way to shut down what they deem to be hate speech is have that discussion and shut it down through logic, through through rationale and, you know, say that those things don't need to be said. 
And by having that discussion, it, that's where you have progress. Because if you don't even allow the discussion to begin to be or to start, um, then it's just you're kind of ruining the health of democracy and this whole idea of everybody being able to have their own opinion and express themselves. I mean, daggone, that's the one greatest part about being in America is having the freedom to speech and to have your own opinion and to form that and to be able to grow by listening to everyone else's opinion. Like, I mean, Stephen Crowder's Change My Mind segment, at least. Like, yeah. it's controversial, but, like, it gets people listening and it gets people thinking. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. you face the tyranny of feelings, and I don't think that's a good place to go. Well, the left loves tyranny of feelings, but, yeah. you know, I will say, I do think what you're saying is really right about this idea that, you know, when I think back when I went to college, I don't think we had anything like a speech code, but if someone were to have used, I mean, I, I don't mean it's such a cupcake, but I really don't think in my college people that they really were there for the robust exchange of ideas. And they, we had the, you know, that's the hallmark of Western civilization, the robust dialogue and exchange of ideas. I think if someone had used a, I'm not saying they never happened, but I didn't hear them, but a racial term uh, that was offensive, I think that they would have been surrounded by their fellow students that said, well, just, you know, shunned. And they've been told, you know, we don't talk like that here. You can, you got to make your point in a different way. We don't do that. I think that is, a, it's a more free, it's a more freedom oriented way to respond than just to have a rule. And especially because I would say on, on speech codes in campus, you're probably going to include, if you're right, speech code writer, you're going to say, can't say, you know, some horrible racial ethnic term, which you shouldn't say, but you're probably not going to add in. And you also can't say someone is a xenophobe if they want a secure border. I mean, somehow it's only going to protect the left. Okay, next one. I'm going to go Emma Kate first. So this people, these people in Georgia are saying, discourage schools from taking official, excuse me, can't speak English, <laughs> official institutional positions on public policy controversies. Like, should SMU say, we stand for same-sex marriage as an institution, or should they just be quiet? Um, I agree that I think they should just be quiet. I think that the whole idea of university life is to be able to have an environment where students from different backgrounds can kind of get together and have this expression of ideas and bring their own ideological backgrounds with them and not, you know, I think the kind of go back to the article we talked about earlier with uh, Lake Engel, you know, he's, he said that his professors were there not to tell them their ideologies, but to really to educate them. And I think if these uh, universities have their own kind of platforms that they're pushing, then that kind of takes away the whole education factor and makes it more of a enforcement. So I think it's a good idea. Yeah, and you don't learn anything. I mean, you don't learn what is behind someone's thinking if they can't say it. You don't learn how. You just don't get the reaction, the feedback. And the I effect, right. Yeah, and some people might come to college. Or maybe we all do, but you get to college with your own life experience and your own with your parents, your education, your society shaped you, and you really would benefit from hearing other you know other people's ideas okay here how about this um allow protests and demonstrations as long as they do not infringe on the rights of others to engage or listen to expressive activity i thought smu did a good job with that i mean not making you pay more money to have your speaker but beside that they let the protests happen but they didn't allow them so that that was that was pretty good right how smu handled that i thought smu really handled it well they handled the exchange of discussion very well and at the end of the day the protests were very respectful, and I had the privilege of meeting with both groups that planned a protest and a counter-protest to the event, and they agreed to stay in a respectful dialogue and discussion. I thought that that was great. I think that that speaks to the climate that we should have on a college mm -hmm. campus, and I think that us having that relationship going into the event and going into the protests was really conducive to making sure that that happened. Yeah, I loved it too. Okay, so what do you think about punishment then? Require students who break rules, 
like these kind of rules, not speech code rules, but these kind of rules, uh, be punished. Any student who has been twice found responsible for infringing on the expressive rights of others should be suspended for a minimum of one year or expelled. So someone who, for example, while the speaker is trying to talk, is jumping out of his seat, yelling and disrupting and throwing stuff or whatever they're doing. Okay, we're very short on time here, so 30 seconds. You like that idea they can be expelled? I do. Because I think that if you want to express yourself in a way that shuts down the free speech of others, that you need to realize that that's absolute idiocy because it's ironic in and of itself. And kind of piggybacking off of that, also agree. I think it's hard that, uh, you know, it's going to have to be responsible for the legislature, at least as part of the Goldwater Bill, instead of these individual schools. But that also might provide some consistency as, as a way to kind of solve this issue. And like Drew said, you know, it's, it's kind of a you got to do it with. With class, and you got to have a little bit of reasoning behind it. You can't just be standing up and making other people feel bad. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know what? This is uh, these. I think will be discussed more and more in America because we're seeing more of this on college campuses where uh, people just simply cannot speak up. I wanted to mention an organization in the short remaining time we have called <laughs> FIRE, uh, which is uh, FIRE.org. They stand up for students on free speech rights on campus, all sorts of free, uh, freedom of um, First Amendment rights on campus. Great organization. And we are sadly out of time. More topics in time. But I want to thank you for tuning in to America Can We Talk? Come back every Sunday, 6 to 8 p.m. Central Time, Wednesday, 3 p.m. on Facebook Live, America Can We Talk. I do a weekly podcast. Debbie Georgiatis, Emma Kate, Drew, thanks for joining us, and come back next week. You're listening to America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. To learn more or to contact Debbie, go to AmericaCanWeTalk.org. America Can We Talk, truth about America.